Good day, listeners. Welcome to today's episode of Say Word. Say Word is a podcast we started. The goal is to inform, offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our viewers can connect with. We started this podcast to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name. And we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I'm joined today by Batter, Ahmed, Hassan, and our special guest, Ray. Listeners will remember Ray from our previous episode on personal finance. And given what's going on in the economy these days, we had to have him come back to help us make sense of it all. So, Ray, thank you for joining us again. How are you doing? And most importantly, like how painful was it to see the Leafs let you down again? Oh, man. Thank you for hosting me. Um, yeah, the Leafs were, you know, the Leafs were looking good this year. We had, uh, we had a good run in season. One of the top maybe top five teams in the league and then come into the series against the two-time defending champions and you know it just it's just pain like every year every year it's the same thing this this time you know it always feels a little different every time um because you know sometimes it's worse or better this time at least you see them some fight hard which is nice so you know you know they have pieces but they just they just got figured out and you don't know what else to do it's tough. It's real tough. For sure. Okay, so we're going to jump right into it for this episode. Today, we're going to switch things up a bit and start with our serious topic. We start with serious this week because a lot of Canadians are obviously feeling pressure managing their budgets with inflation seemingly out of control. Um, gas prices are hitting record highs, and it seems like a lifetime ago. I don't know if you guys remember we're looking at 80 cents per liter at the pump or so during the start of the pandemic, which seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, groceries are getting more expensive along with most other goods and services. And one word comes up time and time again, and that's inflation. So Ray, we want to start off with the basics and ask, what is inflation? Uh, so inflation is uh, basically a measure of how much prices are, are going up. The way they measure it is they take a basket of goods and services that people buy regularly, for example, um, food and energy are two of the big ones. There's rent is another big one. And then there's all the other things, maybe entertainment, um, food, rest- restaurants, hotels, airfares, things like that. And um, the the goal of central banks is to manage stable prices and uh, em- high employment. So with stable prices, their goal of inflation is um, they want it to be small but positive basically it means that you're growing if your demand um, outstrips your supply and you have small inflation if you have negative inflation then which is called deflation then basically means you're, you're not really growing so your goal is to have you know roughly there's no real like number that's perfect but the goal is roughly two percent some people say you know just uh, above zero is good but generally you no know, two percent is the target that most central banks and most economists accept is good. You mentioned kind of the the basket of goods, uh, which we refer to as in Canada, the measure uh, most Canadians will hear about is a consumer price index. We could see further increases in the coming months. Um, so we're not sure we're at the peak just yet. And many central banks were of the idea that inflation was transitory. 
So back in January 2021, the Bank of Canada projected an uptick in inflation, but it expected it would fall back as supply chain disruptions eased quickly. Obviously, that hasn't happened, and that's caused a lot of criticism to be directed to the Bank of Canada. You're seeing that in the political scene as well. Do you think criticism of the central bank is fair, given kind of what, what the expectation was back then versus like what we're seeing right now? So like you said, back then we we were saying that inflation is like transitory. A lot of it was because, you know, post-COVID, we had a lot of sectors that were essentially shut down, right? For example, hotels, nobody's traveling all. So some spaces, inflation was going to get hit back. And um, obviously with the supply chain, you know, COVID damaged that a lot, a lot of areas. Um, as you see right now, China are completely locked down, but um, basically COVID slowed the supply chain down so much that it was very hard to get anything around the world. Shipping rates increased from anywhere from five to uh, maybe three to five X um, to, you know, ship something from, from China to LA. So shipping rates increased dramatically and we saw the supply chain basically break down in front of our eyes. So, so we thought that, you know, everyone kind of thought that inflation might be transitory and, um, you know, it'll heal slowly as COVID gets done with and supply chain um, fixes itself. But we're seeing that's really not the case. Like, first of all, China has a COVID zero strategy, right? So I think some areas they can't go to work unless there's been an entire week with no infections in their whole apartment building. So the COVID policies there are so strict. And we're seeing that as a major bottleneck to the supply chain where China has tons of uh, tons of factories and um, I guess shipping um shipping boats uh, that are, are not fulfilling their part of the supply chain. And basically the supply chain is still a mess and really bad. And at first we saw, you know, it was the COVID only sectors that were uh, shut down. And when we we're reopening, I think it was reopening, um, those were the areas that were really hot in inflation. And people were saying, oh yeah, it's transitory because uh, the reopening sectors are getting hot. It's not, everything else is fine. But then, you know, every once the reopening was kind of cheering, um, People started going out, living life. We had all these stimmy checks to burn on stocks and dinners and clubs and whatnot, you know, um, that really uh, that really brought inflation uh, even hotter. And now we're seeing it kind of across the board. Where, like, for example, in the U.S., um, airline tickets uh, were at 20% year over year. So, um, and if you try to book flight recently, you can see that like things are cheap, but they're getting back to, you know, much more normal prices for COVID. Um, so it's getting expensive and especially rents are really, um, hot right now. So you're seeing, Tell me about supply, it. yeah, you're seeing supply yeah. bottlenecks in a lot of places from not only COVID, but now Ukraine, um, and the war that Russia has caused, you're seeing surge in energy prices, you mentioned gas prices, price of oil has doubled since last year. Um, but then again, you have all the, the shipping and refining across that um, supply chain that's causing the price of oil, to, the price of gas comes to you to be even higher, um, around around double, if not a little bit more. But yeah, definitely a, a lot of play uh, interplay between different factors that are causing inflation to be so high. That's a great breakdown. And, you know, a lot of pundits have, have tried to simplify it by blaming the spike in inflation on the war in Ukraine. Uh, but as you mentioned, it's kind of a multi-pronged issue. 
So mm-hmm. do you, do you raise your eyebrows when when uh, you hear analysis like that or blaming it on on kind of Russia's aggression? Because I, I in talking with you previously, kind of this is a problem that's that's been longstanding and. And I think a lot of listeners would would um, appreciate kind of getting an understanding of the role that Ukraine plays, but the fact that this is much broader than that. So, what do you take when? What do you think when when you see pundits on the news or whatnot just trying to simplify it into that one kind of soundbite? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a lot more than that, and it starts well before you know. I mean, Ukraine and Russia that started around. Um, like Feb, early March. Inflation was a problem already well before that. So um can't really blame it purely on that. Russia is one of the biggest commodity exporters in the world. So they'll export things like not only energy, natural gas, which is huge in Europe and most of Europe, um, especially many of the Slavic countries in Germany are heavily dependent on natural gas from Russia. So they're all having energy crisis over there. And then in Russia and Ukraine, they're both uh, responsible for many, a lot of exporting the world's uh, wheat and other crops. So um, Ukraine is actually has some of the best oil in the world for this stuff. So um, they're known as the breadbasket of uh, the world. So a lot of uh, prices of those crops have gone up a lot. And then you have Russia as one of the biggest um, exporters of minerals that are used for fertilizers. So there's about, there's three of them, three major, I guess, uh, chemicals that are used for fertilizers and, and with Russia to shut down, you know, you're going to see the food cycle, the 90 day food cycle, um, as it completes, you're going to see the price of food go up even more and farmers are already struggling to produce up to their usual, uh, standards and yield outputs. So, um, on that front, yeah, inflation has definitely been hurt because of it, but it started well before that. So, I mean, when COVID happened, governments were essentially given a choice. Do you want to help everyone that can't work and is living paycheck to paycheck, or do you want to let a massive like, depression happen? So by handing out money to everybody, um, a lot of which people took advantage of, um, but nonetheless, we're, by handing out money to everyone, you're kind of doing the most to stimulate the economy. And on that front, you're getting a lot of um, you're getting a lot of inflation happening because of that too. For example, um, the money supply has increased so much, and you see um, you can you can just see it when you look at some of the memes you'll see on Twitter, right? Like, uh, oh, just got that stimmy check, but go load up on Dogecoin. <laughs> like when you see stuff like that, <laughs> you know that you know that inflation. Um, there's too much money in the system. There's too much froth. Uh, yeah, it's it's it shows you it shows you, but yeah. So like everybody was getting all these stimmy checks, and obviously people need it because it's you're choosing life over death essentially, right? You want people to survive, um, but you've you pumped so much money in the system, and then on top of that, the Fed has lowered rates, um, and they do this thing called quantitative easing, where they basically buy lots of bonds um, to help decrease the cost of capital and ensure a fun- healthy functioning market. So the Fed does all that. And in normal times, what they do that for is to help um, push inflation higher. So they, they did this this time as a stimulus sort in a massive recession. They want to help companies, help economy survive. But the cost of that is basically all these factors together have 
I guess, encourage major demand. People are staying at home and instead of going out to, you know, fly places or spend money on things uh, that they usually would, they're just, you know, buying stuff, online shopping. And um, that caused major inflation in some in some areas. Basically, you, you got a lot of pent up savings by the average uh, consumer and now they're spending it. And now inflation is really hot. So it's, it's definitely, to answer your original question, it definitely started well before Russia and Ukraine, but Russia and Ukraine has been no help either. And it's been pushing stuff even higher. And we'll, we'll continue to see that likely. There has been a lot of uh, mismanagement of COVID funds, um, particularly in the US. Um, and all, all of what you were describing uh, kind of goes back to some remarks made by Tony Gravel, who's a deputy governor um, at the Bank of Canada. And he he notes, notes uh, in his speech something called like the perfect storm and, and how tricky it is for central banks to, to kind of manage what's going on in the economy. Um, so we know that interest rate raise, rises are, are coming, coming in fast. <clears throat> but he, he noted that a, and most people, sorry, will think that Canada and the U.S. has to move in lockstep um, with regards to those rises, or a lot of pundits have been saying that. Um, but one factor that the Bank of Canada uh, mentioned might lead to a pause is that many households have taken on more debt to get into the housing market, and that's been a big issue in Canada. So at the end of 2021, the household-to-debt income ratio was 186%, so above the pre-pandemic level of 181%. Um, and they mentioned that this, because of this highly indebted, uh, indebtedness, households will face high debt servicing costs um, and higher indebtedness might, might cause the Bank of Canada to pause and think. Do you believe that uh, kind of the U.S. sets um, the pace for Canada or, or do you think that kind of the debt levels for Canadians uh, really makes this more of a tricky balance for, for the Bank of Canada as opposed to the Fed? Yeah, so when it comes to central banks um, hiking rates, the Fed is definitely kind of the, uh, the first mover of the developed countries. Um, You'll see that their the rates are typically a little higher as they have they usually have better growth than other uh, some of the other developed countries. But um, it's it's tricky because Canada is also very dependent on certain sectors like oil sector, and if, if oil prices collapse, right, you'll see that they need to um, kind of cap their rates to um, keep monetary policy not too too restrictive. Um, as, as people might, people, a lot of people are very dependent on the oil economy here. Um, but yeah, I mean, the household indebtedness has been a topic uh, that comes up every once in a while when the Bank of Canada hikes rates to, you know, around one and a half, two percent. When it gets that level, um, I guess I've also seen, you know, I remember reading articles uh, that a lot of uh, the, well, only about 20% of homeowners i believe have variable mortgages um but when rates are hiked that high you know it can um hurt their pockets quite a bit so it is definitely you know a concern but i i think you know this is a very different time um we haven't seen inflation like this since 70s 80s so the fed is gonna have to choose as the central banks are gonna have to choose 
you know, do you want to raise the flight inflation that hurts everybody's pocket or um, leave rates, you know, lower to kind of uh, not fully fight inflation, but, you know, help the help the people that are struggling most. But, you know, like you said, it's going to be, you know, they're going to have to walk a tightrope and figure it out, take the data as it comes. And it's really hard to predict how they're going to do it. Um, but it's definitely going to be a fine type of to walk and figure that one out. Uh, just to follow up on that. So the change in, in we're seeing a change in the monetary environment, obviously. Um, and, and due to that, we see a move away from riskier assets, but one asset class, and you touched on it earlier, uh, that has caught a lot of people's attention is crypto. Um, cryptocurrencies that have been previously touted as a hedge for inflation. Um, it's curious because we're seeing crypto move in line with the broader market downtrend. So I want to ask like what uh, what what you think about that um, and is it peculiar uh, given like how crypto has behaved in the past? There are there are some people like especially in Russia uh, who you know when the ruble collapsed, they traded. The ruble for Bitcoin, and for some emerging market countries, it can be a, a you know a relative store of value to get their money into crypto, um, which is harder to regulate than you know going to the ATM trying to trying to find someone who will sell them dollars in their country. So from that perspective, it can be a store of value, and there are so many perspectives to this. But um, the main one I say is you know it's crypto is very much like it's a higher beta version of stocks like the S and P. What I mean by that is when, you know, stocks go up or down, Bitcoin is also going to go up and down, but it's going to be up and down more than uh, stocks are. So it's overall is a more speculative asset. And, you know, when you're, when you're in a recession, you know, people are, people are not going to be like, oh, um, the first thing I'm going to sell is um, my RSP, TFSA, or my car, my house. The first thing I'm going to sell when I need money is my crypto so um it's it's really just like uh it's really to me it's just like a um a separate asset class but it's a definitely less of a store of value than, than people really really think it is yeah just uh, uh a lot of great points really made and uh, i just wanted to get his maybe opinion on you know initially the whole craze about crypto was that it was leveraging this like new technology blockchain blockchain technology and then that was part of its value rather than just being some sort of asset to trade and i know as some of you've worked for banks i know that blockchain technology is becoming more common have people just lost sight of this ray is this like there's just too many coins in the market no one really knows what the technology is being used for anymore like what what is it that you know people are misunderstanding you know, that's an interesting question because crypto moves so fast that one day you think you're caught up and then a week or two later, it's like crypto's already moved on from that onto the next thing. Like people are, um, there There are a lot of people in crypto who are legit and are trying to build something special. Um, and I've seen like, you know, some people building really interesting, like obviously Vitalik, he's one of the pioneers of crypto, co-founders of Ethereum. And um they're building stuff that's cool and is gonna, you know, um, maybe do something bigger long term. The real world applications kind of haven't been 
fully there yet. You're seeing it a little bit, but it's uh, it's definitely like um, a growing place. And like you said, they, they've got the blockchain and then now um, DeFi and Web3 are the hottest buzzwords. Um, so DeFi, like you're kind of building uh, multi-layer applications and you're, you're building smart contracts and stuff like that. And Web3, you're building, um, I guess, instead of mainstream companies, you're building like um, companies that involve crypto or blockchain so yeah i'm it's it's i think the blockchain technology itself is uh, it's really useful for, for banks and um you know custodian banks especially um but the the technology uses are there and it's it's just not quite mature enough for people to use it to its full potential right. it's definitely still maturing and i think it'll take you know years for that stuff to kind of kind of develop yeah and uh, I, in fairness to people, I mean, uh, especially in a city like Toronto, you're seeing like house prices skyrocket. So that FOMO and that desire to like make a lot of money quickly, um, I guess, especially from younger generations, uh, could be the result of the feeling that the decks are stacked against you. Come to that notion that, okay, I'm doing everything right, but... Like I have to try to figure out a way to make money faster because things are yeah. are like moving way beyond what I'm able to continually save up. So um, I wanted to ask you, Ray, for 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 younger generation, like people who are younger, um, do you find that it's like it's harder to convince them against more speculative? assets? Uh, and, and do you sympathize kind of with with their notion of trying to catch up to like generations uh, ahead of them who are kind of benefiting from this the, that rocket uh that rocket uh, uh valuation in terms of their assets man that's that's such a tough question because you know capitalism has really uh been good for a lot of things but one thing it has been bad for is wealth inequality and you're seeing like some people are so rich that um like elon musk Dude, if you were if you were earning 180k from the day Jesus was born till now, you still wouldn't be as rich as Elon Musk. Okay, like what? Is, <laughs> where did the, where did the, who, who calculated Holy that? Who yeah, calculated that back? That's a crazy thing. So yeah, it is unfathomable how rich some of these dudes are, and. Um, you know, I think it's also the behavior that it kind of like brings along. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired of Earth. I'm going to go to space now. Or like, <laughs> so, or like some of these things, like you could just check out. Or it's like, you know what? I feel like buying Twitter today. Let's yeah, just go exactly. ahead with that. Like, I'm like, if wow. Yeah. He's such if an you're absurd so rich, guy. you can buy Twitter yeah. for fun. Like, that's, that's great. That's not so. Well, when the human race can't live on Earth anymore, we do kind of need a plan b and we do need to go to mars but there are also a lot of problems between now and then that we need to solve so it's like it's not that he's wrong it's just that people are always going to tell a billionaire how to spend his money and then and then he buys twitter and then it's like okay now 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 he's just doing something personal it's like they stopped him from tweeting and now he's upset and so he's going to buy the whole thing it's it's yeah it's scary what someone like that with that much money can do yeah, absolutely. Like you said, everyone loves to tell billionaire how to spend money. But um, yeah, going going back to the original question, Abdi, um, 
<clears throat> yeah, there's so much just wealth inequality overall. And um, you, I've I've seen some polls, but um, I forget the number exactly. But you know, like something like thirty to fifty percent millennials don't think they'll ever own a house. And obviously, home prices are going up. Rent prices are going up. Toronto's becoming a big global city. We're even getting our Michelin star guides now. So you know, food prices are going to go up. Going out to restaurants, that all is going to go up. Um, and yeah, like I do sympathize with um, people who, who um, my age are just you know they have a very grim outlook on um, on things. And the next generation, generation after that, and it's going to get harder. Um, on one hand, you know, capitalism does make the convenience and the quality of life better for future generations. And you do have access to education and things that you'd never have access to like 100 years ago, whatever. And you do have the means to really pull yourself up, pull yourself up. Um, but it is, you know, the distance is a lot farther now to pull yourself up. So, um, I, you know, I do think there could be government policy that could help balance that wealth inequality a lot better. Um, I'm not saying we need to hire like socialists to run the government, but there's something we can do. I'm, I, it's, it's not like a silver bullet solution because otherwise, you know, everyone would know and it's so easy, but there's definitely a lot more we could do about wealth inequality and, um, in different, I mean, in different, uh, in different parts of the world, they've, they've done more to kind of combat the housing. Um, in Scandinavia, for example, it's, it's nearly impossible for a foreign, um, foreign home buyer to, to buy, um, houses. Um, and over here, I guess Trudeau did, he did ban foreign home buying for two years, um, which, which might help, but there's also like a lot of loopholes of ways to get around that. People can, you know, get a friend or family to buy a house and it's really the same thing. So there needs to be some better government policy in place. And then you see like companies like um, Blackstone recently announced that they're coming to Calgary and now Toronto to buy um, residential housing and uh, invest in that stuff. And, you know, that's only going to put the cost of housing higher. So we need better government policy in place to really regulate this stuff. Yeah. And especially with Toronto, there's, there's a real lack of supply. Think about how far you guys look around Toronto to see see houses versus comparables within the city, and now it's adding a huge commute. You know, there's there's it's really hard to find stuff in the city now, and yeah. um, the GTA is growing a lot, but yeah, it's it's really you know how much can we grow? We yeah. don't have a, a ton of big cities in in Canada, but it's it's tough in Toronto where there's I guess there's only so much land, and uh, we just don't have the supply. Um, as many yeah. other big cities too, or much smaller city relative to you know New York or London or whatever, but we're still having a major housing problem already, which is not good. So yeah, it's definitely, I definitely sympathize with the next generation is gonna have a tough time too. Yeah, definitely. Now, there's a lot of great points that you mentioned, right? And around the just to go back to the crypto, as you mentioned, there are a lot of people trying to build um, for the future, and I think this downturn might actually help consolidate the crypto space and and focus on founders who are really doing it because they believe in the technology and believe in blockchain as opposed to those looking to make a quick buck um the, your point about capitalism and and its effects on wealth inequality i find it also interesting because uh, apparently from what i'm reading about recessions 
it actually increases wealth inequality um, as companies and individuals who are well capitalized sit on the sidelines and wait for opportunities to get things on a premium or on a discount. Um, a lot of companies or households and uh, small businesses, for example, that have been trying to deal with headwinds around the pandemic and really looked at this time uh, to kind of uh, springboard or, or, or do better or try to recover uh, are facing challenging headwinds as well. And their cost of borrowing uh, definitely will go up. So, I mean, it's super fascinating to to chat about and, and talk about. Uh, I don't think any but any one of us would want to be in Jay Powell or Tiff Macklem's position, uh, but we'll see how they how they navigate. Uh, the last question I wanted to ask you, Ray, was obviously on this on this podcast we haven't went into personal advice, um, uh, and there's a reason for that, just because we don't we don't know where the market's going to go. So uh, I don't think it would be wise to try to tell people to do this or that when it comes to their own personal finances, because finances are personal at the end of the day. So it all depends on your circumstances. Um, but given the increasing noise and, and the increasing like uh, distractions and media and then all the kind of uh, FUD or gloom and doom or, or, or whatever the case may be, uh, it's hard to, uh, wrap your mind um, around what's going on and, and really look for a sensible uh, opinion on kind of how to navigate the situation or or manage yourself. So you've been a really calming voice um, and, and I know you're, you're well-read in the space. What books or newsletters or authors or commentators do you look to at a time like this or you recommend just to get a get a good understanding of, of kind of what lays ahead for us? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's tough because I, uh, I guess I, I have a different level of access than, than most people because I, because I work, you know, within the industry. So I read a lot more of like, um, like uh, actual research from, from investment banks and like trader commentaries and stuff like that. It's sent to me all the time to so do that, you know, for work. So it's a bit different, but, um <clears throat> to answer your question so um one of the places i actually really like is um actually you know what i'll tell you where not where i'd like to look to not get advice is basically tv you know as soon as someone on tv starts talking about something you know that probably the opposite is about to happen um like whenever uh there's this jim kramer inverse index on twitter and whenever yeah. jim kramer is on TV bashing oh, the stock or whatnot. Kramer. Kramer. Yeah, he's uh it's 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 bullish when he's bashing the stock, so you know it's about to go up. Um but yeah, a lot of a lot of these guys, um, by the time they're talking about it, you know, it's already too late or um whatnot. So you kind of want to take everything you see on TV with an extra grain of salt than you already would. Um same thing can be said for TikTok. I really don't think anyone on TikTok <laughs> um really has the qualifications to be you know giving investment advice there's actually a few hedge fund guys i've seen on tiktok there's maybe one and he doesn't even talk about investment advice he talks about math but twitter i think is a great place um there's, there's a lot of guys on twitter if you if you just kind of search into it there's a lot of guys who talk about how business works how finance works and it's the people that are talking about how things work 
and giving you know write-ups on different famous investors and um and um how investing works in general are the guys you want to follow you don't want to follow the guys who are telling you what to do um so if you look for that on fintwit um you'll you'll learn a lot from those guys michael burry you know he's one of the most interesting ones he was, he was one of the stars of the big short he was he was a guy that was played by christian bale um so he he always has some interesting stuff to say there's i really like joel uh greenblatt as well they always just have you know interesting stuff to say that not a lot of people think of and in terms of in terms of books um that's kind of a tough one i think it depends on on the person what they're looking for i'll tell you one of my favorite books i read this year was uh reminiscences of a stock operator it was one of the only finance books i read this year actually but um it's about this story of jesse livermore who is supposedly the greatest trader of all time and he traded during the late 1800s and the early 1900s including the great depression and it was really interesting because it showed first of all he, he was working bucket shops um where you know anyone could walk in and get like 100x margin or leverage and trade on that and um it was very reminiscent of what the crypto world looked like today um and it was so interesting to look at the parallels between that. So if you're deep into trading, I think that's a fun read and it was very well written. And it's, it's a lot of anecdotes. So it tells you his war stories of how he traded and shorted the market going into the 1906 uh, San Francisco earthquake and uh, um, the market happened to that cause. And uh, he's got a lot, of, a lot of good stories about how he made millions and went bankrupt like three different times. So um, a lot of good lessons to be learned there. And um, if you're if you're actually very interested in trading, that was probably one of my favorite books. There's uh, there's Michael Lewis who writes a lot of great stuff. Um, I think uh, Liar's Poker is one of my favorite finance books of all time too. But he has he has a few others as well, uh, like Flash Boys, which talks about high frequency trading, as well as uh, Moneyball, which is baseball related. But he's he's a great author as well. Um, so yeah, Liar's Poker was a great one because it talks about uh, Lehman Brothers in the '80s, um, how they were a huge bond market desk, and they eventually collapsed. But he has a lot of great stories about what you know life is like in the trenches uh, there too, and it's it's comparable to you know some of the movies you'll watch like uh, Margin Call, Big Short, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Well, maybe not as much. But it's a little more tame than Wolf of Wall Street, but you know you still get some of the good stories and stuff, and it's a lot of fun to read. So yeah, when it comes to personal finance, at least a lot of a lot of books, uh, you know, can be blog posts, and they often are. So I do I tend to do when it comes to personal finance and stuff like that. I tend to do more research online rather than looking at books. But there are definitely a lot of good books out there. Lastly, what about our boy Muhammad El Arian, um, Killer Mustache? Uh, <laughs> just love to see a Muslim name in the news when it comes to finance. Uh, what about his commentary oh yeah actually like his stuff he's very eloquent and he does a great job of explaining um what's going on in the market i think he's one of the few talking heads that you know is is trustworthy because he's not going to tell you what to do you know like jim kramer is not going to tell you to short or buy a stock he's going to tell you what's going on and how things work kind of so those are the people that you should look to when you're, you're looking at online uh, personas you, you want them to tell you how things work let you think for yourself you know when it comes to investing you got to come to your own conclusions on um on stocks and stuff to your own research but um 
he's he's one of the few voices that I think he's he's a smart guy. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So um, I think we're going to end it there. Uh, thanks again for your time, Ray. Really, really great perspectives. Always great points. Um, thanks, Ray. And My pleasure, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. And as always to our audience, we, we hope you found this insightful. We hope it made you think, and we look forward to having you join us for our next episode. And for those in Toronto, particularly hope you enjoy the great weather. I know it's been a long and rough winter. Um, so we hope these, we hope we helped you make sense of what's going on in these uh, economic times and, and obviously, um, don't want that to put a damper um, on your summer. So we hope you we earned we've earned it, and we hope you go enjoy enjoy this uh, this great weather and this great summer.